0: Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of Euphoria. We'll just call it the Euphoria special. Um, We're available on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify. It's my pleasure to be joined by Papa Smithy. Now, before we start talking, I do want to clarify that we were recording this episode before week seven, day two. So the all-exciting or potentially disappointing uh, G2 versus Fnatic match has not been played, along with a number of others. So if there are any strong statements that you're like, that's crazy, did you see the most recent game? Well, we haven't. So take everything, a little bit of a grain of salt here, but Papa, it's... Really good to have you uh, in the LEC and also on Euphoria. How, how was the first day? How's your experience been so far? I mean, firstly, it's, it's my second
1: Euphoria episode.
0: I did that guest episode yeah. with
1: Froskuren when she was still an LPL caster, um, Deficio when he was still around, and yourself, in a different location. So <laughs> I feel like we've come a long way already, both when it comes to me getting to, to Europe and getting to participate in the show yesterday. We've called you in Euphoria. one time as well. It's been an interesting couple of <laughs> days, both on and off the set, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And you guys have got something special over here. I'm sure you guys see, you know, lots of great luminaries and you know, Monte Cristo talking mm-hmm. about how the LEC is the best show in esports at the moment. And you guys are doing something really cool here. And uh, now the Euphoria is actually brought in house, so it's, uh, it's a it's comfortable, easy walk down from the stage.
0: <laughs> Very true. Yeah, driving to the studio was a little bit difficult. I'm glad we've we've made the upgrade. Good, good kebab in.
1: place near there, though.
0: Very good kebab place. Definitely underrated, I think, overall. An
1: underrated part of coming to the LEC is the fact that the donor Kebabs here are
0: just <laughs> unbelievable, sir. It's the number one. Atten- if you're thinking about whether or not to buy a ticket to Worlds, it's right pompous- after Sick pompous- League of Legends. <laughs> Sick League of Legends, doner Kebab. That's exactly. all that matters, especially in Germany. Um, I mean, this is like a whirlwind trip for you. This is like one week in, out, back to LCK. Yep. Um, one of the questions that we had is like, is there any difference in terms of how you prep for LEC versus how you prep for LCK? when you're under this kind of tight time frame, I know you have been watching a decent number of kind of the highlight games for your VOD reviews. Is there anything special you do to kind of take in as much information as possible in such a short period of time?
1: You're right in that it's super different um, between the two because when I'm prepping for LCK, because I've kind of, and it sounds very like over the top, but I kind of lived the LCK in terms of like watching all the games back when I was a fan into kind of narrating or casting them. Um as a caster and we don't have kind of story meetings and all directions so a lot of the direction for where the, the show goes is my own so I already feel like each day it's very easy to be, okay what's the match day today okay where am I going to take this like it's very kind of solo driven rather than kind of the team approach that happens over here but even just the specifics of coming into an already established show and not wanting to derail it in any way like I don't want to come in and just make everything about what I know about the LCK and kind of make every conversation a right turn because you guys have been building great stories and narratives over a very long period of time. And the lucky thing is that because I'm a bit of a night owl these days, I actually watch pretty much all of the LEC. Um, It's different. Like people always ask about kind of broadcasts you're involved in and broadcasts you watch and you watch very differently when you know you're not on that show. You don't necessarily Mm. watch with the idea of how would I have narrated this scene? How would I have pushed this forward? How would I have fit in there? So it is different. Like you are definitely um, on a backseat compared to actually being involved in it. But the fans were really kind of loud about wanting me to come on this show. So that puts extra pressure on because you want to come in and put in a great product and also contribute to a small part to what is a large kind of long season. Like this is only two match days of many so i just came in looking at it very seriously and wanting to be able to contribute and making sure i had breadth not just depth cuz i can talk about the game forever like the fact that we only have 30 minutes or so here <laughs> is uh, <laughs> a bit, bit of a shorter know, episode like to, uh, 30 minute statements are kind of my bread and butter whether i'm on broadcast or not but um i really wanted to make sure that it was just something that flowed nicely and that that it made sense like i don't want to come in and coast off just the name i've built over in korea i want to mm. just be part of the show here so so far it's felt really good and really easy and coming in with the team that I've worked with at Worlds obviously is is super straightforward and yet the LEC is is so vibrant and different, you know? And only some of that will be realized when this episode is released. Yeah,
0: we have a very special promotional piece that we built uh, earlier today, not for the LCK or the LEC, in fact, but we had used Papa for help. So look forward to that to be coming out soon to put a little more context into the, the wackiness of the LEC. Yeah. Um, I like that you talk about kind of like uh, a little bit of like the double-edged sword of having kind of this reputation and pedigree that you do. LCK analysts historically have been always super respected, and it's good to hear you talk about kind of like not wanting to just let that carry you, but instead wanting to make sure that you do justice to the LEC fans. And I think from the reception on day one, it feels like you've done that justice. But I'd love to hear... um, expectations versus reality from like a gameplay standpoint coming mm-hmm. over because you talked about watching from obviously a much maybe a much less critical much more backseat kind of lens when you're watching casually at home how has it, any impressions of any teams or or players kind of changed drastically now that you've been here on the ground watching them uh in person
1: now we, we are coming off one match day where it was kind of a weird and wonderful bucket of games. I, I got. mean, I
0: went zero for five on predictions. So yeah, you I'd did. Say, yeah. I mean, to I, be
1: honest, <laughs> five out of five. Sometimes you're just like, well, a lot of those were favorites. Zero out of five is almost like the wombo combo where you're like, how how could anyone ever the, get zero the out of Spider-Man
0: five? Man, movie. Like you like- have Roman who's like,
1: <laughs> let's say taking an alternative point of view on predicting.
0: Yeah, alternative and facts is out- the
1: Rahman approach, yeah. and you definitely schooled him this week.
0: I'm the biggest inter
1: in the. You're OIC. a great golf player, you know, like for sure. The scored. lowest
0: score humanly possible, folks. We changed the rules, and I'm just the only one playing the new game.
1: If I was gonna introduce you to someone, I'd say, "Dracos below par," <laughs> I think that's a compliment, right?
0: Right? <laughs> you just well played on the golf analogy. I, I have to take that one on the chin. I don't really have a leg to stand. I just hope for five out of five today. Uh, if you're on Team Dracos, right? But, now. But um, yeah,
1: it, it was a very different style of games. Um, for example. I wanted to really kind of talk about how G2 kind of plays the game. And obviously, when the Garen game came in, they got walloped. It was much more difficult to talk about how they're doing stuff away from what the enemy is doing. The enemy will get a successful gank, but the other two Mm. lanes are where they're really generating leads. Like That didn't really apply there. Um, Fnatic Schalke, I think we got a pretty good... I got a pretty good examination of kind of Fnatic with Reckless off the hard carry, because I feel like every time I've carried... I've cast him, sorry. It was... You know, we go back in the years, it was very much the reckless show into kind of reckless and caps vying for MVPs back at a tournament like MSI last year. And now it is very much, you know, the karma is, is priority, but not necessarily that going to be a hard carry champion, right? It's not the DPM outside of lane that we're talking about there. And I think Fnatic kind of dispatched Shotgun in pretty straightforward fashion. I think they were really happy with their draft and executed it well. It was definitely the, the, the Uber Shield comp with the it was. It I don't was, get much Korean Ivern, right? Because yeah, Ivern sure. has always been a pick. I think Trick played it a couple of times when he was still in the LCK last year. Uh, Peanut yes. <laughs> played the most famous <laughs> Ivern game of all time, where he clearly had just picked it up the day before. This was at um, Brazil, yeah. uh, MSI 2017. And... Uh, was trying to contest camps right next to an enemy as Ivan, which, as we know, doesn't work. That's However, super great. was able to happen from Broxo when the Aatrox at level one was zoning away two super people. Good. So yeah. that was the improved version. Maybe Peanut will take some notes from that. But, uh, I mean, the LEC expectations versus reality, I think the expectations part is the part I always listen to. When I watch Euphoria, when I watch mm-hmm. the cast, or even when I talk to players... I talked to Broxer and and Bwipo as they stepped off yesterday. And they're all still struggling with expectations. And by that, I mean the high expectations of G2 winning MSI. And now everyone's looking to Europe, including myself, being like, okay, what do the best in the business? What are they going to do? And sometimes that's just G2. Fnatic and G2 were vying just before Riff Riders came out. Now it's a bit more open and G2 are coming off a game with the Garen loss and now potentially, like this could be a 0-2 week for G2 and then narratives will shift very quickly. So at the end of the day, G2 have led the meta at many times in the history, all the way back to season one uh, beta when um, taking eighty carries out of the mid lane and putting them bot lane with a support Mm -hmm. was an EU initiative that NA conformed to before we had quite the same global competition we do now. And now zooming forward all the way to 2019, because G2 are the reigning champions, every analyst around the world, whether they're English speaking or not, are watching G2, seeing where the meta is going and watching more and more LEC. So that mantle of favorites or top favorites, even for a team like G2 and for Fnatic, like top two, top three, top four for world competition, not just LEC. You can see it's, it's really weighing on people because They don't just have the five-year odyssey of Korea always wins and Korean players kind of taking that to be a normal thing. It's that moment where the fan base, the players, the casters are all still a little bit shell-shocked, worried that those super high expectations will be completely undone, like the ribbon will be ripped off if Worlds doesn't go to plan, but I think you just have to wear it, Dracos and players out there. You need to wear it and say, you got to walk tall. You guys are the reigning MSI champions and there's a lot to like about the LEC right now, even if like specific regional rankings are pretty hazy.
0: Yeah, I, I think for, for me, and I think you see it normally in, in the eyes of players, let's, Fanatic's are a good example, TSM's a good example, orgs that already kind of have a pedigree domestically, there's already a ton of pressure. And you see it when the players come on the show, and they talk about like, yes... Fanatic fan base is great, but also it's like it's a lot, mm-hmm. especially as a young player. You got like a guy like Nemesis who was the sole center of attention yesterday, yep. and obviously, fanatic fans are, are pretty high on him now. But at the start, it was was a little rough. He, he wasn't caps re- replacing caps, right? And that's those are hard shoes to fill. And as you mentioned, the pressure only grows as international success comes through. But you talk a little bit about regional rankings being hazy. Obviously, um, LCK and LEC, there's plenty of hyperbolic statements going mm-hmm. around. Uh, I've made more than a few myself, um, and I'm, I'm curious. Is there anything that you see there that feels really concrete that, that you can really put your finger on when it comes to analyzing how each of these regions are going to do moving into international competition? Is there any one or anything that you have your eyes on? Because for me, obviously, we, we talk a lot about G2, but the rest of the LAC feels uh, un- unclear, and I think for me as a whole, I don't really know what to expect from the LCK because so many people are just pointing at they're still playing uh, you know, arguably a slower style than we see from G2, and a lot of people are quick to call that, call that wrong. I think there's some smoke and mirrors that muddy the waters on what should be a pretty clear-cut debate
1: because if you ask me on a very simple level, like look at how G2 play, look at how you know some of the slower teams in the LCK, which still has a pretty slow vibe, still is kind of scaling up. We're back to 35, 40, 45-minute games recently. Um, which playstyle do you think makes sense in the 2019 meta? And I touched on this on PGL yesterday. Um, I still think that the, the fast-paced, aggressive meta being assertive Searching and destroying in terms of kills and getting turret plates. Uh, That's what Riot set up the meta for with the turret player meta. The gold Mm. is there for 14 minutes and then gone. And if you don't take it, you can never get it back. So because of that, I definitely vibe more with the overall aggressive ethos that I think quite a few of the LEC teams take, but not all of them, right? It's not like the... The playstyle from G2 has filtered down all the way, and some people say that's because of player quality. Like, it's very hard to match G2 on a player to player level, and I think there's definitely some merit there. But even just the the ethos of the game for Splice and the ethos of the game for G2 are very, very different. And that's just that's a thing. It's not right or wrong. It can't be ascertained in best of one um, season, but it's definitely something that we'll return to as it gets to playoffs. The reason why I mentioned Smoke and Mirrors, though, is Riff Rivals Asia was so interesting from the LCK side because they came in with an assignment just like his team comes in if they're facing G2 of these teams play one combined kill per minute. Someone's dying on either a friendly team or the enemy team every minute. So a lot more high bloody action compared to 0.7, 0.6 slower games mm-hmm. that we see over in the LEC and Spice is usually in that archetype as well. And so you thought there would be kind of a culture shock, right, when it comes to Riff Rivals and those two teams battling when the LPL and the LCK faced. Instead, the LCK played a lot faster, played up a lot more, were willing to contest objectives and get aggressive and actually found ways to unsettle the LPL in that way. So they they challenged kind of the, the bucket they'd been placed in that, that I'd placed them in because just a week earlier, they had been playing that slow building style that feels like a shout-out to 2017 rather than, The smartest choice in this current meta and yet we see that they win the tournament which is a big um, confidence boost like it meant a lot a lot of regional pride obviously in the asia Rift rivals and we thought okay can't go to get back to the lck and then we were slow and scaling again so what does that all mean is is a really hard thing to tell who's really good right now and who's not so good when it comes to the contending teams, you know, the the top five or so that you start to audition for Worlds. Mm -hmm. I think in every region, your certainties are very limited. Like I I find it very hard to pick three teams that for sure will make Worlds. Like It seems inevitable that G2 will be a top three team. One or two is kind of where you would put them, right? Um, If you look over to the LCK, SKT have finally kind of cemented that they're going to be around the conversation. So circuit points are first place is very likely. But even then, just because they went on a losing streak and a win streak, you're like, does that mean a losing streak will follow? Like, it's hard to know. Like, my expectation is that SKT will keep winning. But every other team in the LCK almost, apart from the bottom three, is a contender for Worlds. And right now, I don't have a great answer for you on that. I mean, North America, you've got Team Liquid and then the pack, right? Cloud9 probably going to get there. TSM not in great form. A lot of other kind of newer orgs pushing up the spots. This world is really, really open, and I think it plays into the previous point about kind of Europe having to come in as favorites in some ways, especially G2, should they make it to the tournament. If the favorites are doubting themselves and the contenders of the 24 teams you're plugging in like three, there's so much still to be written in limited regular season playoff games and it's going to be so interesting to watch the best of five phase because that's where i think when it comes to specifically europe like you have to look at origin and think that should they make playoffs they're a great prep team they should get there you have to look at splice and say they've got a very stable style maybe it's not maybe it'll get blown out by an aggressive game or two but does it get blown out in the best of five maybe not so it's a really weird time now it's kind of eerie but it's exciting because there's no match days you can look at and say, I think I know how all these games will play and who will win. Like That doesn't exist in kind of any region right now. And that should
0: mean watching World League of Legends. I mean, for me, I love it. Because I like that you talk about that uncertainty. And I think that we see the the parallels between both SKT and G2 in that capacity where for, for SKT, they've opted to play slower upon returning to the domestic league for whatever reason, right? And we probably don't have all the information there. And mm-hmm. for G2, obviously, they're so far ahead of the pack. It feels like sometimes uh, that... I mean, they get to play things like Garen that we saw yesterday, uh, and they get to mess around, and it's, it's hard to know what their ceiling looks like, and I feel like it's hard to also know what the, the potential list of styles that SKT can bust and out. And even
1: approaching them, I
0: bet, as a casting team might be hard. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm not even talking about, like, will they pick Garen today? Yeah, stuff, sure. But, all right, so it's X-Team versus G2, and G2 is, like, looking like this, like, world beater how do we even approach a game like that? And I have experience because we've had teams like that in Korea. Over my time there, probably the biggest example was SKT in summer of 2015 where they went 17-1. and They were undefeated for most of the season. And they just, they had everything. They had Marin in the top lane as a top lane carry. They had great comms. They had great teleports. They had kind of everything you needed to be a great team alongside the star power. And it became almost auditioning the other nine teams to try to contend and you would watch other teams and be like, no, no, they can do it. They could challenge them 2 zero comes through and you're like, oh boy, you know, like, what do we say this week? <sighs> and I think you just, you have to slide around a lot of thoughts and kind of make it about, all right, let's really understand all of what G2 is, not just the pop-off players, not just the fact they have the mechanical skill and it. also as you guys do a great job of on all your different shows and, uh, Ready, check, highlight what it is they do and how it is they do it and then look at the teams that are doing the right thing and try and work out how that would overlap. And yes, it may end up being a one-sided game, but if you're kind of setting your expectations, like what is the expectation of a sixth-place team against G2? Is it challenging them in the early game? Is it coming up with good fundamentals that maybe would be enough to take them over another team around. Like, everyone's in a different scenario, right? Like, XL doesn't need to beat G2 in order to make it to playoffs, and their goal isn't to beat G2 and be the entire champion, probably in terms of realistic goal setting, Everyone wants to be champion, but usually you kind of pigeonhole yourself in the right kind of area. Mm. And there's ways they can satisfy that goal and still lose to G2 and still come away being like, all right, well, we still were able to hit our checklist and do a lot of good stuff here that will beat other teams. So it's weird because... Ideally, you just have, you know, contender, contender. Let's see who wins by better play. But sometimes it has to be more fuzzy because sometimes teams are just too damn good Dracos.
0: It's... And yet, I, they might go 0-2 this week. And they might go 0-2 this week. Yeah. And I think, that we're, I think that you talk a lot about kind of the LCK history with this, and I think the thing that is, is fortunate for us as a broadcast team, because you're right, uh, sometimes it's a struggle to figure out how to approach G2, and I'm glad. I think I'm hoping that people have been enjoying how we highlight yeah. how good they are. Shout out to Vettius for uh, for his telestrator yesterday, mm. or what will now have been Friday when this releases. Um but the the nice thing that we have is that the style that they play, because it is so easy on the eye, right? It's very easy on yeah. the eye. So at least when G2 are winning, uh, it looks you know very pretty from like from the simplest mechanical level, which I think is 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 super important, right? Uh, maybe it lacks a little bit of the kind of the grandeur of the the peak SKT chess game style right in terms of if you're a true macro aficionado don't get me wrong g2 have fantastic macro i'm not trying to say that but obviously they take a lot more risks and it's a lot less of a uh, clean
1: game but i'm scared that people lose something in how kind of much flashing explosions and kills and stuff happen on the screen it's very easy to look at that and think oh it's lost all the the macro and like it's lost all of the thought and they're just flexing like because of course, you're going to be drawn to wow, a kill here and a kill there, and how would they do this? But like w- when I have had the chance to like rewind back and try to get some kernels out of that, I think back to G2 Vitality first round, where at 22 minutes it was a 900 gold lead for G2, way you know lower than their usual kind of accelerated pace, and then they closed the game in three minutes, like from 900 gold to the game ending, like they hadn't broken the base, I think they were around inner turrets, but they hadn't gone any further than that, and then the game was over, and it was certainly not a a flawless performance by vitality side they made a couple of mistakes but it's not like they completely dominoed their way down entirely that was the pike yumi game and that was definitely them not respecting the potential of that and yet it was certainly a lot about setup from g2 to kind of probe for mistakes and then vitality made mistakes and then g2 is uniquely good at just closing games like we, we know this very much as casters, is that there's a lot of games that you look at at 17 minutes, you're like, oh, that feels like an unassailable lead. And some teams take 15 minutes to close the game from there, getting two barons, et cetera, et cetera. And some teams like G2 take way less to close the games from there. And I think it's examination of that and how they reproduce that again and again. It's not opponent level. It's G2's level that actually pulls those moments off. And I think closer examination is kind of required to work out what can be learned on even in a global context to really try to apply that to more teams because if G2 can do it so effortlessly with enough work, other teams can do it too.
0: I think that and I think that's, uh, has to be on the mind of many other teams and I think that there's there's like two, two difficult things to approach with this and one is how do you get in that mindset where you're like, we G2 can do this, we can do this, they're not superheroes. And then the other thing that I see very frequently here when you talk about G2 is like, these are five of the best players in their role, and this is not realistic for us. We need to try something different, and I think that's like very hard for teams, and I think a very difficult place to put yourself in where you're kind of making them out to be superhuman. It's something we've seen in the past with teams that are as, as fantastic as G2 or the earlier SKT, where people just make them out to be more than life, where you talk about leaning against Faker, and you always assume that he knows something that you don't, and that even if he's misplaying, you assume that He's doing it for some information that you don't know if it's there, and I think it's a it's a difficult spot to be in when it comes to contesting G two, when it comes to matching that kind of pace of the game that they do uh, do show so uh, consistently.
1: And to your last point, like I definitely think there's some of the realities there, and that I think no team can just copy the 25 minutes of G two and find the same results because of player synergy, player talent, etc. But There are some teams that have very mechanically skilled players, like I think of, say, a Damwon Gaming, especially in spring season when their macro side wasn't there, where they could have the same pop-off kind of early to mid-game phase, but then they wouldn't be able to close out the game. So they could examine how G2 played out specifically the mid-game to late-game, that closeout that I'm kind of alluding to with that Vitality series in the first round, Robin, and say, okay... These are things that we wouldn't do natively. What is there to learn from this? There are other teams that could examine their early game phase and work out, okay, yes, we can't play all of those champions, but they can basically kind of thrift shop a new champion to Mm. replace any of the bans we put out there and still get this priority, still get this early game set up. How are they getting it? What are they doing with it? And how does what our strengths have intersect with that to find a way to at least curb some power from it because it shouldn't be as simple as g2 gets two lanes you get one lane or g2 gets three lanes and you get zero lanes so definitely easier said than done i just disagree with the idea of like no those are the superheroes over there yeah i'm gonna try and like use my like inferior tools to be relevant because it's kind of the same mindset that the players had of well, I mean, World's Quarters is the most we could ever get. The Koreans, Koreans just, are way too good. Uh, They're way, no way above us in yeah. all single ways. And, and yes, there was a lot of career career finals and yes, Korea was really good at the vision meta. But by the tail end of it, Korean teams were taking losses in best of fives. Like it wasn't just a whitewash yeah. like it was many, many years ago.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, from an LEC perspective, I obviously hope that the every team can glean as much information from G2 as, as possible to help them, and I always think that there is also this point where you do have to look at your tools and say, realistically, what is the most we can achieve, and sometimes when it comes to playoff races, you have to go, hey, would love to play that style, but we need wins right now, we're going to play this thing that works for us. And that's why the playoff race
1: is so fun, like, let's open it up to kind of the other teams around Europe. We've got Excel as a team I've talked about a lot in the broadcast here, where i they really caught my eye last week with set a plan, mark, execute kind of style. It works mm. in FPS games. It works in <laughs> kind of drafting and playing out games as well. Like it, was, it was clean and it was ordered. And I love to see new teams that come together, reach a phase. And remember, the, the Mickey version of this team is what? Like, they, he didn't play week one. We're no, he's super, now. So super it's young. Yeah. Six weeks
0: old right now. And, um, and not even that, I mean, we did also have the Ziharn and the Kasing. I mean, yeah. like, this team has... This is the first time we've really seen this team come together, and it has been. They're, a, like,
1: working towards 10 best of ones together, kind yeah. of feels like at this point. And the fact that they, by of the 7-8 point, were reaching the ordered phase where, from the draft, you knew what they wanted to do, their execution supported that. And then yesterday, we got the super plays from Mickey. Like, that's a team that's showing that, yes, they're, they're down the bottom in terms of results... But if it was in a vacuum, like if we were playing a tournament that started today, Excel would be relevant rather than being kind of like really on the outside having to Mm -hmm. have every result go their way. And that's such a fun thing to track as a caster. Like I love those stories in my league just as much as international contenders, because, you know, sports is about starting somewhere, banding together, increasing your resources and going for you know, growing towards contending, growing towards being contending. If we just look at the top, we miss all the excitement of Excel starting to move up, but that could be abated today. They could definitely lose, but they have a winnable game today. It's Vitality, I think, today. So that's going to be really interesting given that Vitality is starting to come back. You have Vitality, who's definitely had a slump year, all things considered. Finally starting to find some momentum there as well. And I've actually always been a big fan of leagues. I know tournaments are the things that really...
0: Stick out easily
1: stick out because everyone started at the same footing and then three days later there's a champion. But I just always love the fact that in a league, you're either moving up or down. Very rarely you staying exactly at the same spot. If you go one-one every week, I guess you're around the middle. But in general, you're always trending up and down and the whys of the meta. Like League of Legends can't be a solved game. That's like one of the sexiest things about it is that it can never be solved. There always is gonna be A push forward by Riot in terms of the meta changing. And also, when we've had kind of, we had a couple of quirks in Korea in the past where we had the same patch for like four weeks, which is like a lot longer than the usual cadence. By the fourth week, the stuff that seemed super broken in week one had found its natural counters like in some other kind of RTS games in the past.
0: I mean, and I think back to the very early days of Korea, I believe it was season three. You talk about the sixth man and like the art of like building a slow push and the eventual evolution of the meta, not even because of significant past changes, was, hey, why don't we just dive the guy who's freezing the wave? Why don't we just kill Funny him enough, that happened. was a China thing.
1: That actually was Wei Zhao on, on WE who p- really pioneered the slow push and... Using Ezreal ults back when I did full damage to monsters. The, we picked it up, uh, Minions and Monsters, because he would always miss his Ezreal ults. Like, you yeah, just yeah. shoot it off and you're like, all right, well, I guess he fat fingered that one. And then you would, <laughs> someone actually decided to start looking. It was season two, right? We yeah, were yeah. very infantile in terms of like macro analysis at the time. I don't even think the term had even been applied to League of Legends.
0: Ashes and mid anymore? But, what are they thinking?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you, you weren't looking at the minimap that no. much. You were focusing on the fact that the Ezreal alts missed and you're like, wow. What you doing, Wei Xiao? you're good at the game. But then, you know, some it took a couple of people looking at the mini map and that wait, like now the mini wave has been like entirely cleared out yeah. and it's starting to slowly push or it's grouping up and fast pushing. That idea was so different because you're not doing any damage with the AoE ability to the champions. What if you guys fought now? Well, you can hang back, you can play around minion pressure. It's something that's grown into the game. Um, that Korea went on to perfect over time and in 2019 some some teams are good at it, some teams not so good. Sometimes we just go straight down the mid lane and honorably battle. <laughs> We've had games like that
0: where I cast it just that way. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to play the ARAM, commit to the ARAM. That's the rule, folks. If you're going to commit to the ARAM, commit to the ARAM. Um, we're running out of time here before we actually have got to go. Do some questions? Do Saturday? Show. We have so many questions. Let's let's start with um some of my personal favorites. Uh, Kieran, owner of Excel. Kiernan Holmes Darby wants to know, is Excel your favorite team, and would you wear the Union Jack waistcoat on stream today?
1: I don't have a favorite LEC team. Um, I think I've been talking about Excel a lot, so it makes sense that he wants me to lean in there. The other issue is that I, I'm definitely, at my core, Australian and not British. So even though I have both passports, like, I've kind of chosen a side you have to. So uh, you know what? Shout out to you guys. You're doing something good out there, and I like the way you're going. But no Union Jack for me right now.
0: All right, who's going to win LCK? Looks super close right now. A lot of good teams. Any, You said earlier SKT. Do you have any secret dark horses you want to share now?
1: I mean, the reasoned answer with how they're playing is SKT. Um, it is overinflated by the win streak that they're on. Um, I think there are a couple of teams that could potentially upset them. I think Damwon Gaming, on their day, has shown they have pretty high highs. I think everyone else is so up and down that best of fives is going to be so tricky to... Mm-hmm. Tate, SKT didn't even drop a game in, in yeah. two best-of-fives in spring, so I think SKT's the easy answer, but I just want a competitive final because the 3-0 over Griffin was very disappointing.
0: Yeah, that one still haunts oh, yeah. me. Oh, God, I hope so, too. Uh, Wise Penguin, if I'm not saying your name, it's because I'm trying to read these quickly, uh, at JPYZ, says, if you had to pick a champion for the cover of a League of Legends-themed cereal box, what champion would you pitch? Pick, pick. A
1: cereal box champion? Maybe Lulu?
0: Lulu? Yeah. It's happy. It's child. Yeah. You're thinking like some lucky charm yeah. style, whimsical. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Um, someone wants to know, is Kale viable?
1: <laughs> I know she's got a rework coming. Um That they're playing with. I think viable for solo queue, definitely. I think the champion, like if you can just get away with an uninteractive laning phase, which you often can in solo queue more than pro play, um, I think definitely for solo queue. I think for pro play, the ramp up time, is too long for a payoff that actually doesn't always pay off that much. Like, the true mm. damage AOEs on paper sounds so good, but a lot of team fighting champions never really hit their straps, and to need level 16 to get the most of it, like, I think it's too tricky to pull off.
0: Mm. Final question from G2 Esports. What did you think of their draft?
1: Oh, you mean the draft <laughs> yeah, yesterday? yesterday? I yeah. was awful. It was a Garen draft. It was a there terrible draft. It was Garen into karma. <laughs> What are you doing, Grabs? Like, I don't know what was happening there. <laughs>
0: I don't think he's always in control of the ship when, like, when the Garen gets locked
1: in. Look, I also had been tweeting about Garen for a while, so in the end, the, the momentum took them in a, in a dark direction <laughs> in terms of smarts, but uh, it was fun. It was fun. Perfect. Can't complain with fun, right?
0: All right, thank you so much for this kind of abridged uh, 30-minute episode of Euphoria. Pleasure. Always good to have your thoughts kind of on, on League as a whole. It's a beautiful game, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this last weekend. We'll be have, coming out on Monday, so you will have enjoyed the Fnatic G2 game. I hope for our sakes, as we will be casting alongside Bettyus, and also for your sakes, that it was a total banger. But otherwise, the regular weekly episode of Euphoria will be out on Wednesday, this time featuring Splice. We can talk about where they sit. Maybe it'll be an O2 week for them, too. We're going to have to... Have to find out. We're going to see. Anyway, we'll see you next time.